Today I'm continuing my series from last week. I'm calling it uh, kind of Mission 2020 as we focus towards our next year. I know we're not to the end of this year, and that's okay, but we're focusing on the end. We're not there, but we can see it from here. So um, we're going to look at uh, Hebrews chapter 10 in a little bit. If you want to find that, put your finger in it, whatever. And then there's a couple other verses I'm going to give you if you want to write them down. But um, there was a series of questions just about a year ago I started asking my son. When I was in high school, I remember applying for colleges, but like, I don't think I even thought about it until, like the deadline was like March 1st, and I think I probably started about thinking about it like February 15th. I'm not saying I had the greatest guidance counselor in the world, but you know, like two weeks before I started applying to colleges, and, um, but things are different now. My son started taking the SATs when he was a sophomore in high school. I didn't even take them until the summer after I graduated high school, I took it. And that was, I'd already been accepted. They were just like, oh yeah, you gotta take this test to get in. And things are different, and I realized that, but as he was finishing high school and going into his senior year, I began asking him questions. Like, um, what do you want in a college? You know, he had no idea. And, uh, and what do you wanna do? How many of you have ever, like, you see kids and you go, hey, what do you want to do? And we're still thinking, what do you want to do with your life? And yet they're saying, what you actually should be asking is, what do you want to do for the next four to six years? Because that's how long the average person stays at a job in America anymore. Four to six years. The average person coming into the workforce now will have 15 jobs. That's the average over their career. 15 different jobs. Which really tells us, well then, they're not really staying four to six years, but... That's still what they're saying. So four to six years, they'll have 15 different jobs. And we, were at, we are asking ourselves the wrong questions. What do you want to do with your life is no longer the question we should be asking. It's what do you want to do next? When you finish college, what do you want to do next? And how is that going to prepare you for what's down the road? So what do you want to do next is the question we should be asking. And yet, I still think in our minds, we're thinking, what are you going to do forever? And when we ask people that, it begins to overwhelm them. See, when during my dad's generation, people went, they got a job, and they stayed there, and you hoped you got your full 35 years in, there'd be a nice retirement party and a watch and a thank you for working here. And that's the mindset that we came into and yet that's not the reality of the world we live in anymore. But because of that, we have to change our whole mindset on how we view things. So the other question that I'm learning to ask is, how will what you do help fill the, fulfill the desires of your heart? How will this help fulfill the desires of your heart? You say, well, why would you ask that? Psalm 37, 4 says, 3 and 4 says, trust the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land Feed on his faithfulness, delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. So if I'm trusting the Lord and I'm doing good, then he's going to give me the desires of my heart. The problem is sometimes I don't think we even think big enough to even know what our heart's desire is anymore. Because the world is hard and it wears us down and it beats us down and we've lost that desire and that passion to think, what do I want? What would bring my heart fullness and joy and life? 
And because we don't think in those terms, we just think, how am I going to get through this day? How am I going to pay the bills? How am I going to make it this week? My marriage is in trouble. My job's tenuous. My, the financial situation is hard. And we don't think, What's gonna, what is the desire of my heart? And am I going to trust God in order for, to fulfill that? But see, if I stop thinking, what am I going to do for the rest of my life? And start thinking, what's going to bring joy? And now here's the other thing. I don't like this whole idea, if you do something you'll love, it'll never work a day in your life. I hate that idea. Because you know what? I do something I love, and some days it really feels like work. When I was hauling bags of bark this week, it felt like work. And yet I love my job. I do. When I'm holding the hands of somebody who's dying, it really feels painful. And yet I love my job. When I'm watching people become who God created them to be, sometimes it's difficult to see them struggle, and yet I still love my job, right? Does that make sense? So it's not just if I'm doing something I love, you'll never work. But what is the desire in my heart, and how am I going to see that fulfilled? So as we are becoming the congregation and the church that God created us to be, I've told you every three to five years, I like to look at, evaluate, ask myself, what, what does God have for us next? So what would our, we want our congregation to look like? And then what are we doing to prepare us to do that? What am I doing individually? What are we doing corporately? And how do I get to that space without trampling and running over those who are more hesitant and slower to change or slower to get there? Because there are some people that don't like the direction we've already gone. Like, why don't we ever do hymns anymore? I don't know, because music changes. And people will tell me things like that, and I'll think, well, you know, I understand what you're saying, but the greatest generation of music was the 80s, and we don't sound anything like that. So if we can get beyond sounding like we did in 1984, then I would think if I can progress, then you can. Do I love everything we do in music today? No. But do I trust God that he's leading us in a direction? Yes. Sometimes people say, I don't think you go deep enough into the word. And I'm like, it's the same thing I come back to every time. Over and over and over again. I could make this a one-hour Bible study where I just tell you what's in the book. And that's beautiful, but that's not the purpose of the corporate gathering like this. The corporate gathering is to challenge you and inspire you and motivate you and make you think. And it's different than just, because I can open an exegete and I could start with the book of Obadiah and just start reading Obadiah, verse 1, verse 2, verse 3. And then say, here's what it was saying in the cultural context. And there's a place for that. But in our corporate gatherings, it's to celebrate and to grow and to challenge and to inspire. And that's what my goal and my job is to do here. And it's not that the other doesn't matter. The other matters greatly. But that's why we have small groups. That's why I encourage you get together in prayer circles. That's why I encourage you show up for other things so that you build relationships and you find that niche group that wants to study the fourth chapter of Revelation for the next two years. I know a Bible study on Revelation that went on for 11 years. And I asked them after 11 years, hey, where are you guys at? They were in the ninth chapter. I can't do that. I can't take a year to delve into a chapter. 
there was a pastor at Angelus Temple, which was our headquarters church for Foursquare, and he pastored there from, um, for two different times, for four or five years each time. And his second time, he did 123 consecutive weeks on the 23rd Psalm on their Sunday night service. And I was like, you did 123 weeks? He's like, yep. The only reason I stopped is it's time for me to move on to my next church. There are people who want that. And yet at the same time, I want us to be able to live in the world that we live in, be prepared and equipped, and adapt it. So it's not that one's wrong and one's right. It's that it's a different point of view. So why, why do I want us to gather together? That's, that's the question. Hebrews 10, 23 through 25 tells us this. This is the text we're going to focus on today, but it says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. All right. We're supposed to exhort. We're supposed to, when it says consider one another, that thing, that basically means think of other people more than yourself. We're supposed to assemble together. It's really easy to find fault in the church. I told you I'm the first one that can point out the flaws in the church in America today. The problem is I believe that the church is the mechanism that God used and created for us as believers to gather. And I think it's really dangerous when we start saying, well, I'm not going to gather because of this or because of that, because you don't do this or you didn't do that or we don't... Whatever it is. We had somebody leave because we didn't read the creeds. I was like, but reading the creeds is really more of a high church tradition. That's really not what we do. It's not that I don't value the creeds, but it's just not what we do. But they left because we didn't want to read the creeds. We didn't even have them posted in our church. And I was like, you realize the creeds aren't even scripture, right? I mean, they're great things, but they're not even scripture. But that didn't seem to matter to them. The things that will cause offense, the things that will cause people to leave are numerous. The question is, are we willing to put aside my own personal has to be exactly what I want because I believe in a greater corporate good for our church as a whole? It's the same thing I say every political season, about every four years, is we don't talk politics in church. Why? Because I have people that are on both sides of the aisle, that vote both sides of the aisle, that vote their conscience, that believe what God is telling them, and yet, I'm not going to sit and have that conversation in this place. Because you may not agree with me on this, and I may not agree with you on that, but we may come together on other common points. But what that does is divides us and makes us set up in particular camps instead of brings us together and creates unity within the body. The purpose of us gathering together is to create unity not to see how we can build walls and keep everybody out that doesn't agree with me 100%. Do I like everything any political candidate does? Well, with the exception of my aunt, who was a state representative? No. So if my desire is to create unity, we do that around a common cause. And for us, 
as a congregation, that common cause, that common purpose is expanding the kingdom of God. I talked about this last week, that my goal is not to build the biggest church. My goal is to expand the kingdom of God. Do I want to be a place where people feel welcome? Absolutely. Do I want to play, be a place where people can come and learn and grow? Yes. Do I want to be a people of multi-ages and multi-culture? Absolutely I do. But my goal and my desire, my passion, is to see people come into the kingdom of God. So if that's my desire, then here's the things that I must do, or we as a congregation must do. First off, we must gather together. Because in order for us to be on the same page, and in order for us to understand and see one another, we have to gather together. Now, we may not agree on every little thing, but our division should not be what defines us. The things we hate shouldn't be how we're defined, but what brings us together should be our common cause. And what brings us together is expanding the kingdom of God. I've said it many times. There's four basic things that I can't compromise on. Jesus Christ is our Savior. Jesus Christ is our healer. Jesus Christ is our baptizer with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus Christ is coming back. I can't tell you when. I don't even want to get into the discussion of how to solve the code of when. Because it doesn't matter. One way or another, I'm going to stand before Jesus and meet him. So either I'm going to die or he's coming back. But either way, I'm going to meet Jesus. And so my things that are uncompromisable. Now, how we do worship, that's going to change. How we do this or that, that's going to change and evolve over time. Because we're going to learn and we're going to grow and we're going to find out what's more effective and what impacts more people and what the long-term results are. And as soon as we get that, culture's going to change and it's going to have to change again. But our message is constant. Who Jesus is. In order to gather around a common cause, which again, our common cause is expanding the kingdom of God, I have to understand my role in this. Your role in this is that we are all called, we all have a purpose, and you all have a place to belong. You are called to this place, and that doesn't mean you'll never move. It doesn't mean God won't do something else in you. But for the most part, we're called here to gather together for greater, I don't want to say results, but for greater fruit in the kingdom as we come together. When we're in unity, we can see greater things done. The third reason that we must is to have a common vision. Again, that's not unwavering loyalty to a person, but it's forgiveness and acceptance of differences that we may have, even differences in scriptural interpretation. Because people will say, I can't come here because you don't believe in this. And I'll be like, oh yeah, let's look at the original Hebrew and look and see what it says there. Well, I don't speak that. Well, I don't really either, but we can, we'll go through it and we'll look at it. And so then we start going through something in the Old Testament and we start dissecting it. And they're like, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, because everything about this is human's interpretation of what God said. Does it mean I devalue it? No, I value the Bible. I read the Bible. I cherish what it says. But I also find a version that I can understand. You ever read Aramaic? I haven't. I've looked at it. Can't even tell what it's trying to say. And yet portions of the New Testament, the Gospels, are in Aramaic. And you're like, wait, didn't that, that language die out 1,700 years ago? Yes. Yes, it did. We have people that are scholars that have learned it, that have interpreted it. 
So you and I may not see exactly the same what it says in Genesis 6 when it's talking about the Nephilim and the giants that came down from, or the angels that came down from heaven and the giants, I'm, no, I'm sorry, the angels that came down from heaven had children with the women of earth and created a race of giants. Ooh, that one's a tough one. We may interpret that differently. You know what? We can still worship together. I can't even say it right. How are we going to get through the interpretation of it? I had to write a paper on it in my master's program. Ten pages of, I don't know, but just saying I don't know a bunch of different ways. So having common vision doesn't mean you blindly follow everything I say, but it means we come to a greater understanding on the things we do agree on. And finally, we're uniting for the greater good. The greater good is not just the expansion of our church. The greater good is the expansion of the kingdom of God. Which means sometimes we serve in areas where there's a need, whether I'm passionate for it or not, because I'm available and I'm able. Other times, it's about finding my passion and making my passion flourish within the building, within the church, within the walls, within our community. So sometimes I've got to do something. You know what? There's a need. I've got to step up and do it. This past two weeks, we've been trying to get our building ready for fall. If you parked out back, maybe you noticed the new gravel that came out front. We've re-barked a bunch of areas. All our weeds got pulled and sprayed. All our flower beds got cleaned up again. There was a lot of trash that's blown in by the fence. The hardest part about that is literally the trash all got picked up on Wednesday. And I went out there yesterday, and there's two broken bottles and a bunch of cups. And I'm like, the trash wins. Hanging my head in defeat. We've been doing that. Now, I don't do that because, boy, I love hauling rock, shoveling rock, moving bark, and picking up trash. I do that, and there were other people that helped, but I do that because I want our building to look nice so that it's a more welcoming environment. Same thing, we're, we're going to get our carpets shampooed here soon. And somebody said, isn't that a big waste of money? And I said, not if you look at the carpet. <laughs> Probably a good investment. It's not cheap, but I want our carpet to last longer. And so in order to get our carpet to last longer, we'll get it cleaned and get some of the stains out. And then there's those who would say, well, we shouldn't allow drinks in the sanctuary. And I say, why? I want people to live in here. Because it says in the scripture, the sanctuary is where the presence of God dwells. And though I don't believe the presence of God just dwells in this one room, I do believe, let's come in and let's connect and let's build life together. And everywhere Jesus went was about food, was about eating, was about gathering around a table because it built community. So if we're going to unite for the greater good, it sometimes means serving in areas simply because there's a need. Other times it's about finding your passion. There are needs in our church that seem to nobody wants to do. You know, we have needs in the nursery and preschool. And I always go, it's once a month. If I wasn't up here, but I, I admit, I like kids. I especially like babies. I love to make faces of babies. I love to hold them. I love to be with them for like an hour and a half and then hand them back to a parent, clean and dry and happy. Here you go. Did my job for an hour and a half. I'm kind of like a good uncle. I was watching a couple kids here one day. Their parents had to do something, and they needed somebody, and it was last minute. And I ended up watching them, and we were walking up to the stairs in the very back of the building and dropping blocks off. And that's what we did for probably a good 45 minutes. Drop blocks off, go get them. 
then they go down the stairs, get the blocks, come back up the stairs, drop them off. It's a great 45-minute time killer. Why? Did I do it because I love dropping blocks? No, I did it because I love people. And then that day, what they needed was someone to watch their children while they were dealing with a crisis in their life. We do it because it needs to be done. That doesn't mean that I have to, you know, begrudgingly do it. But, you know, once a month, I would easily be in the nursery if I wasn't up here. Tracy and I have talked about maybe she should speak once a month and I'll go in the nursery. But it's really hard with her schedule because of her travel schedule. But there's things that need to be done that we just need to do. I need you guys to step up and do things. And it's not about doing, but it is about us as a church becoming who, were we, who we were created to be. So, in order to get there, we have to all understand. And I told you, this sermon series is really based on our vision and mission. And as such, I'm using the same stuff I used two years ago, but I'm updating it. But two years ago, I used this car analogy, and different cars are for different things. You know, if it's a race car, it's meant for speed, precision. But a minivan, I owned one. I really liked it. But the reason we bought my minivan is I hauled a lot of students around. It didn't work for me to just have my car. And I needed something bigger. Plus, we had a St. Bernard at the time who really liked the back seat of our minivan. Also, if I had other kids in the minivan, I'd open the back seat or the trunk and our St. Bernard could lay down there as long as I put a blanket and she'd lay there for hours just perfectly content in this tiny little space. So there was a time in my life where I needed that minivan. There's the Volkswagen Bug, one of the most popular cars of the 60s. Anybody ever own a Bug? They're not for hauling people. They're for getting from point A to point B super cheap. That's why they were created. The heater had two settings, burn your legs or off. Came right off the engine block, no filter on the heater. Those were your settings. Not the most functional, and yet it got you from point A point B and would do it for hundreds of thousands of miles with relatively low maintenance. There's a pickup truck. The second highest selling vehicle of all time, the Ford F-150. Over 40 million have been sold since its introduction. Last week I wanted to haul the barbecues from the other campus to here. I don't have a pickup truck anymore. And I was like, I missed my green truck for the first time. My beautiful green truck that took me everywhere for so long. I can't fit two barbecues in the back of my Explorer, even with the seats down. So I had to borrow a truck so that I could run errands for the church and get them over here. Pickup trucks serve a function. However, that function is not good gas mileage. Because I started with a full tank, and after going from the person's house over to the other campus, over to here and back to their house, I noticed we're down quarter of a tank. And I went and I put $17 in gas for <laughs> a 30, 45 minute trip. I was like, man, they should measure this in dollars per minutes. Some people just need a car to sleep in. They just need a place to crash. It can serve that purpose with or without an engine. So what do you need your vehicle for? Well, 
Sometimes speed, sometimes reliability, sometimes functionality, sometimes looks. The Toyota Camry is the number one selling car in history. 44.4 million units thus far to date. It was the number one selling car 12 years in a row. And it's also the most stolen car in America. Fun fact. But see, sometimes people want it just because that's what other people have. Did you know the city that buys the most Subarus in the nation? Do you know what city it is? Seattle, Washington. Did you know that Subaru is a company in the Pacific Northwest, basically between Washington, Oregon, Idaho, that they use 40% of their U.S. advertising budget in those three states? Because people go, that person has a Subaru, that person has a Subaru, I like their commercials, I shall now own a Subaru. Cars have different purposes and different things, but we need to make sure that it's functional and usable. In order for us to be effective, we have to understand what is our function, how fast can we go to do this, what does this look like, will we be consistent, will be around for the long term. The same things you might be asking yourself in a vehicle is what we have to ask ourselves as a congregation. Are we meeting the needs of the people? Now, I can't be all things said all people, just like a race car and a pickup truck are not the same thing. A Volkswagen Bug and a Maserati, other than maybe color, they're not similar. But our church has to meet the needs of people. We have to know who we are. We have to define that. We have to do it with excellence. Because if we do that, then people are going to discover this is where they need to be. Is this the one right church for all people? No, because that church doesn't exist. But is this the right church for certain people? Yes. Is this the right church for you? I believe it is. And when we come together around our common theme, we may not like individual details, but as a whole, we learn to love and appreciate who we are. We cannot be all things to all people. But without a doubt, God is all things to all people, and we are representing him in what we do and in who we are. I tell the worship team, I tell other ministries, I'm not looking for perfection. I'm looking for excellence. And excellence means we do the absolute best we can with who we are. The difference is we could go out and hire all professional musicians, and if there's a wrong note, I'd be sending them a letter. But that's not who we are. We're a church that gathers around and says, this is who we're going to be. This is what we're going to do. We're going to use our people to lead our people into worship. And that's who I desire for us to be. I desire for us to be a people who lead people into worship. I desire for us to be a people that come around and gather around our common cause. Far from perfect, but always pressing in to who he is. So if we are called by God to fulfill our vision, and I believe that we are, then we must ask ourselves these questions. What is my response to this call? How are you as an individual called to serve this church? In what ways? Are you doing that? Are you seeking new ways to serve? Are you stepping into opportunities? Are you looking to help create new opportunities for people to become closer?
Sometimes when people say, hey, why don't we, my usual response is, yeah, why, why don't you go start that? I'll promote it. I'll talk about it. You go do it. And then I can tell people, hey, we now have this Bible study. Hey, we now have this small group. Hey, we now have this ministry. But if it's just driven by me, my heart and passion may not be for the same things that your heart and passion are for. Second question. So if my first student is, what is my response to this call? Second question is, how do we do this with excellence? Some people say, why don't we have this ministry? Why don't we do this? And I'll go, because we can't be good at that. We don't have the people in place. We don't have the people, you know, the number of people or the right people. It doesn't mean we'll never do that. It means at this season, who we are, that's not the right thing for us. Can we do what we do with excellence? Is our worship excellent? Yes, it is, because it's the absolute best we can do with who we have. Are our small groups excellent? Yes, because the small groups that we have, A, they meet the needs of the people, and B, they're run by and through our people. So finally, the question you have to ask is, what's got to change in my life as an individual, as a person, what's got to change in my life in order for me to accommodate what God has called me to do? It's not always about doing more. Sometimes it's about doing something different. But sometimes, just sometimes, it's about, I don't really ever serve the church. When people say, well, how much time should I be giving to the church? Because I've had people do that. And I say this, you ought to be in a ministry that's involved at least once a month. At least once a month, you should be doing something to serve the church. I don't know what that is, because that's going to be different for you and for me. But you should be doing something that serves the church once a month. There are ministries that happen every week. Our, our ushers, our greeters, our Sunday schools, there's somebody back there every week. So there's certain things, hospitality. Somebody brings cookies every week. The beauty is, it's a different person. And you only have to do it about every six or seven weeks if you sign up. And there's, but you should be doing something. And I don't know what that is. I can't tell you what you should be doing. What I can say is, there's needs. Ask yourself, what can I do? How can I serve? Or ask me, hey, where do you want to serve? I'm going to tell you a little secret. Pastors have this saying, and they don't like to say it out loud, but I'm going to tell you. God's got a great plan for your life. Now let me tell you what it is. The second half is the part that pastors don't actually add. Because we would love to tell you what you should be doing. I mean, who in here, just think for a moment, most of you in here probably, if I really asked, would you, do you wish you could tell your kids what to do? Do you wish you could tell your neighbor or your coworker that doesn't know what they're doing what to do? Do you wish you could tell kind of everybody around you how to do things because you know you could do it better? Anybody in here besides me sometimes feel that way? Oh, good. Some of us feel that way. But the reality is it's up to God to put that into you, into your heart and into your soul. It's not always about doing more, but it's about finding ways you can step in and serve your church. But all of it, it all begins. It doesn't even begin with your salvation. Because I said, you can't know God outside of community. It all begins with community. It all begins with coming in and deciding, this is my place. These are my people. This is my space. It's not perfect. It never will be. It's not always shiny and polished. Sometimes I wish I were smooth and slick. I wish I had that look that looks good, but most of the time I get here and go, oh man, I know I brushed my hair, 
Why does it look like that? Most of the time I come in and I, you know, I, if you follow me at all, I wear the same shirts for a good 10, 12 years. I still have clothes in my closet I wore in high school. My wife has tried to talk me out of them, but I know they'll come back someday. I'm not flashy and I'm not smooth and I'm not polished, but I'm real and I'm me and I try to be genuine. And the person you see here on Sunday is the person that I'll be on Monday through Saturday. Sometimes I'm a little more sleepy. Sometimes I'm a little more grumpy. Sometimes I'm a little more or a little less animated. I know you're thinking, less animated? You're the most monotone person I know that actually has a public speaking position. It's true. But I am me, and I am real, and I am consistent. And what I want to tell you today is this. If you're needing a place that's real and consistent, and it is who they say they are, I desire for us to be who God created us to be, not just who I want us to be. Because that's so much bigger and so much greater. And it begins in community. And I invite you again today, stay for our barbecue. This whole message wasn't about the barbecue, but it might as well have been. Because we've got to build community. And I don't know how else to do it other than to say, let's have a meal together. Let's spend time together. Let's get to know each other. Because when you do, you're going to find that when you're in crisis, there's someone to pray for you. When you're in need, there's somebody to love you. And that doesn't happen instantly, and it doesn't happen overnight, and it's not easy. And it's not easy because, A, we don't like to be vulnerable, and B, most people don't want to be the person who looks weird that goes, can I pray for you today? No. We had people in my neighborhood recently, if you live in Des Moines, you might have had them too, going door to door, passing out a flyer. Not only were they going door-to-door passing out a flyer, they were asking if they could pray for you. The problem is, if you know the organization, it's actually, they used to be called the Moonies, founded by Sun Young Moon. They've now ditched that name. His son doesn't even carry the same name, and they've changed the name of their organization. And they run a great Christmas cantata down in Kent. And they sell out four, five, six nights, and they have posters all over town, and they will give you flyers. And they'll ask if they can pray for you. And then they just need your name and your phone number. Because they just want to follow up and see what happened in your life. And they've learned the language. And they've learned the terms. But the problem is, they don't know the substance. They don't know the substance of who Jesus is. Let's be people that are in community that can show the world who Jesus is. Because there's other people out there showing other things. Let's be a people that show the world who Jesus is. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your love and your grace. And we thank you, God, that you do have a plan and a purpose for us individually and for our congregation. May we see that, may we know that, and may we live that out in your name. Amen. Hey, Dylan, would you come on up here? Each week, as you know, I try to pray out one senior. We're running out of them. I think he's the last one that held on. Um... He held on as long as he could, but it's finally time for him to go off to college. And uh, I think he's the last one that's still in town. Um, I've known this kid for a while, and I've watched him grow and develop. And this one's hard. I told Tracy I got one of two ways to go. I either got to make a joke of the whole thing or I'm going to cry. 
the reality is, it's never easy for me to say goodbye to one of our students. But this one seems a little di more difficult. This is my kid, in case you didn't know it. And um, I was giving him a hard time about never leading worship again, because now you're out of high school and you're gone. And, but I know that our time is short, and yet the same, I believe the same thing about him that I believe about any other person. The Holy Spirit puts people in our lives to impact us and for us to impact them. And I could make him stay, and I could make him go local, and I could make him live with us, but that's not him becoming who God created him to be. So it's my job to release and to send and to celebrate, and in doing so, to allow him to become who God created him to be. And hoping that the things we raised him with, the values, the knowledge of who Jesus is, hoping that sticks with him, but also fully knowing he has to discover who that is. And so we're going to pray for Dylan as he goes away. He leaves this Thursday, and um, he's going to Western Washington, so he probably will be back at some point. Um, but uh, like I do with all of our seniors, I would just ask you, continue to pray for them. As they go away, college can be such a difficult and trying time. And yet, God can do incredible things in helping shape and define who they're going to become as men and women. Father God, we thank you for who you are, first and foremost, for your grace and for your love. And I thank you for Dylan and his willingness to put his skills and his talents into worshiping you. I pray, God, that you just continue to put it on his heart to follow him, to follow you as you lead him. God, I pray that he would grow in a knowledge of who you are and understand grace at a deeper level, that he would serve you every day of his life and he would glorify you by the way he lives. I pray that you continue to develop his skills, his talents, and his mind, that he can use those for the betterment and the benefit of the kingdom of God. In your name, amen. So um, stick around for our barbecue. I'm going to give you a few instructions consider the food already prayed for since I prayed I everyone is invited to the barbecue so much so that I don't have anything at the hospitality thing to try to bribe you into staying so we're going to open these doors you're going to go out these doors you're going to grab a plate you're going to grab a burger a brat a turkey burger a hot dog or for our vegetarians a bean burger Try to meet the needs. I looked for gluten-free buns. I'm sorry, I couldn't find them at the Costco. We're going to go out here. You're going to grab your burger and stuff off the grill. Make your way down. There'll be buns and condiments, and there's cookies, there's chips, um, there's lemonade, there's water. We have tables in the lobby. We have tables on the playground that are covered. We have tables in the walkway that are covered. And we're even going to set up a couple more in here since it's raining. We would love to have you stay. We would love to have you meet someone new, talk with someone, engage with someone, enjoy some time with other people in our church. If you have children, go get them. They're welcome to eat. But otherwise, if you're sticking around to eat, go out this door, because if you walk out the other doors, you'll be at the end of the line, and you'll be like a salmon fighting against the current. So I want to invite you, go ahead, right out those doors, and we, uh, James is opening them now. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. <laughs>